It's Friday, June 26, 2020. I'm Tanya Harris, and welcome to TMI Daily, your daily roundup of everything people are talking about online since they aren't allowed to talk about it in person. Earlier today, Mike Pence led the first coronavirus task force press briefing since April 24th and claimed the U.S. is doing better in the fight against the virus than it was the last time the task force addressed the country, which means one of two things. Either he really wants to keep his job or the education system in Indiana never taught the meaning of the word better. A New York judge has halted Donald Trump's efforts to shut down a tell-all book from his niece, Mary Trump, that promises to reveal secrets about their family. The judge is allowing the book to be published on the grounds of free speech, as well as the fact that they couldn't prove there's anything more shocking in the book than what Trump tweets out on a random Tuesday. Businesses have reported a shortage of coins as the U.S. Mint has reduced production and fewer people are using coin return machines. Say what you will about Obama, but when that man promises change, he always delivered. Not like you, Donnie. In a rambling social media video, former celebrity Roseanne Barr claimed that Donald Trump is the first female president of the United States. Sorry, but that's factually incorrect because women only have their periods for three to four days a month, not all 31. That joke is also factually incorrect. Earlier today, the Democrat-led Congress voted to make Washington, D.C. the 51st U.S. state. This has absolutely no chance of passing in the majority Republican Senate, where the only state they want in D.C. is the state of dysfunction. American Airlines announced that they will stop leaving open seats for social distancing on their flights beginning July 1st. But for an extra $150, you can be upgraded to a much roomier seat to get infected in. Microsoft is closing all its retail stores and will focus efforts in online sales. Since Windows fans will no longer be able to shop in person, the only virus you can expect to get is from Microsoft's shoddy software. YouTuber Jenna Marbles announced she's stepping away from her YouTube channel after 10 years due to past sketches involving blackface and other racially insensitive content. And you would have thought she might have stepped away because, wow, she's been on YouTube for 10 years. Kourtney Kardashian narrowly avoided flashing fans on Instagram by placing an emoji over her exposed private parts. That's good news for fans, but that emoji, man, it's going to need some crisis counseling and maybe a shot of penicillin. Kanye West has struck a 10-year deal with The Gap to sell his clothes through the retailer, which makes perfect sense because, much like its current musical direction, most Black people don't like The Gap either. Now, let's send it over to tonight's TMI Daily Cast and Crew Roundtable. Stay safe. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of TMI Daily. I'm Veronica Aiello. And as always, I'm joined by some of our family members from TMI Hollywood. In a few minutes, we're also going to be joined by actor Eric Nenninger. So stay tuned for that. Let's say hello to everyone watching at home or listening to our podcast. Let's start with you, Elizabeth. Happy Friday. Time means nothing. (laughs) Joe. Oh, thank God. It's Friday. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Jocelyn. Hi, everyone. Chris. Hello. Emma. Hey, y'all. How you doing? Shayna. I think you mean fry. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) And Stuart. Hey, how's it going? Okay, so it is Friday. So as you know, here on TMI Daily, Friday means it's a Trump-free Friday. Every day we discuss the most important news of the day, but because Fridays on TMI Daily are Trump-free, we try to avoid anything Trump-related before the weekend. Instead, we asked our panel to pick one story they thought was interesting to share with us, which might have been um, on our radar, which might not have been, excuse me, on our radar this week. So do you guys have some stories that you want to share today? Okay, Joe, let's start with you. Okay, so as we know, this week, uh, the highs and lows of Disney opening and then not opening, and it made me very sad. Um, But I did want to point out to something to all my huge Disney files out there and everybody else in Southern California who kind of misses a little bit of Disney and wants to do some safe social distancing Disney fun. 
Um, the Bowers Museum in Santa Ana has opened and they have an exhibit right now where it's from the Disney archives, which is really, really amazing. The Disney archives have picked a whole bunch of stuff from in, in there that they're putting out. They have the replica of Walt Disney's office that was um, used in saving Mr. Banks. Um, they have a whole bunch of old uh, fantastic Disney props from the fifties from back when they did the Disneyland TV show, including an original coon skinned cap and uh, uh, one of the bed knobs from bed knobs and broomsticks. And then in the big room, they have even uh, an actual filming uh, used uh, Herbie, the love bug and just tons of stuff. So if you're missing Disney, like I am, and uh, you want to just have a nice safe uh, day at the museum, go on out to Santa Ana to the Bowers museum and check that out. It's fantastic. That's my story. Um, Joe, can I also ask you about your background today? Uh, yes, this is Adventureland circa 1971. So that's actual haircuts, not quarantine haircuts from the day. So. <laughs> okay. Who, who's next? Who wants to share a story with us? Anybody else? Elizabeth. <laughs> well, this just broke like an hour ago. Uh, the Simpsons is no longer going to have non-white actors voice uh, non-white roles. So Apu will be most voiced by someone different. I'm assuming Carl will probably be voiced by somebody different at this point. Um, so it's just an interesting change. Um, and, and interesting because they addressed it a couple of years ago by basically saying, eh, what are you going to do about it, more or less, in an episode, which really rode people the wrong way, I think rightfully so, because it was such a, like, you know, kind of weird blase attitude about it from them after <clears throat> I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head but he put out a great documentary about the impact of Apu as a character on you know being an Indian American kid growing up and never you know people making fun of him asking if his dad you know oh is your dad run a 7-eleven all that kind of racist crap that kids can do and adults um and he was just pointing out like look I get it you know, I get what you did at the time, but it's it's 2017. Let's, let's think about changing stuff. And they just sort of went, no, we're not doing that. And now they're doing it to bow to change. And this is the third big casting change after Big Mouth uh, and the Central Park show on Apple Plus. But I well, well, while you're at it, the fourth one as well, because the uh, white the white voice actor that's been doing Cleveland oh, yes. on Family Guy for 17 years mm -hmm. has hung it up. He, he said he, he loves the character, out. but it's time that there was a person of color doing the voice. Yeah. And I know people, like, are used to the voice, but, you know, in the case like Apu, it wasn't always the most flattering thing that could have been done. Um, and, you know what... But there, and there's also just not a lot of equity in voice acting for actors of color to begin with, much like regular acting. So I think it's it's time, and I think it's a, it's a good change. Now, was one of the characters that you mentioned the Kristen Bell one? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because that was yeah. I'm not familiar. With that was the Central Park. Show. Like, oh, okay. Got it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. Does anybody have a comment about that story, or should we move on to the next story? Oh, Stuart, you wanted to say something. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say also, um, like what Elizabeth was saying. In general, I think equity in voice acting is worse than um, on-screen acting, just in general, um, so far. And also, with a lot of voice acting, like, in terms of replacing them, a lot of voice actors just mimic, like, voice actors, like, who have done, like, long-running characters die sometimes. And they just get replaced by someone mimicking them. So it's really, I don't think replacing them is going to be difficult at all. And I don't think people are really going to notice. That's very true. Yeah. Shayna. I went to a reading of The Simpsons. A friend of mine um, worked. I was lucky enough to do that one time in my life in LA, one of those random weird things. Mm -hmm. And um, the thing that was fascinating to me is that most of the roles were done by either Harry Shearer or Hank Azaria. Um, they were 90% of the time having conversations with themselves, um, which was awesome to watch as an actor, but also like, okay <laughs> like no. weird as an audience person because i'm like you would but i but when i was watching it literally from an acting point of view and a producing point of view i saw i'm like oh it's so they can spend all the money on guest stars they only have one guest star come on per episode and everybody else all the other characters are done by harry Shearer and hank azaria right, except well. for the except for the simpsons 
and that's it. Everybody else handles all. I mean, and you know, um, sorry, uh, the dad. Oh my uh, gosh, Dan Castellaneta. Dan Castellaneta. Yeah. Yes, they handle pretty much all the other characters on the yeah. show. Yeah, and it, and it would have also been it. Phil Hartman. Rest in peace, Phil Hartman. Uh, yeah. Another one of those. So yeah. Okay, Chris, yes. did you want to say something? Yeah, I was gonna say like in regards to the Simpsons, man, like I think that's kind of cool that they finally are changing like the voice actors and stuff like that. And I think it's great for the <clears throat> for the actors too, because like yeah, that like yes, they made the money for it, but you know to to do all those voices, but you know they were asking a lot of them, you know what I mean? Like <clears throat> it's great that they're gonna like that it opens the gate for more people to have careers, especially on a show like The Simpsons, because like. You know, you get signed up to The Simpsons. Chances are, unless you like do something extreme and really fuck up, like you're gonna have a job for a very long time. Even if like your job only consists of coming in once a week to to lay down a voice for like several episodes, that's a job that you're gonna have consistently for you know at least ten years. You know, unless they find somebody better or cheaper, which is usually what happens in these corporations. Um, but I don't know. Like <clears throat> some of it, I'm a, like, it's kind of. I worry about, I guess if, if, as long as no one is like, if, as long as all these actors are cool with it and, 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 and like, like the actress for uh, Big Mouth, Jenny Slate, like she took it upon herself to, to resign from the role. Like if you're doing that, that's fine. But as long as people aren't getting like fired from their jobs, because that's just going to cause a lot of anger because people are going to, you know, that's just going to be another reason for people like, look at all this bullshit going on. People are losing their jobs. Like, and then plus half the people in the world look at BLM and they're like, oh, black people want to take over. So if like we start getting jobs from white people, they're going to, you know, that just influences the idea of that, you know, that, that message. So I think it's good. Honestly, I don't know if Jenny Slate should have done that because honestly, yeah, I understand that you, you want to give it to uh, somebody of color and I, and I respect it, but like, you did the role, like, you know, like it's like Stuart said, like it's just gonna be somebody mimicking you because you made that role life. It was your voice that made it life. So you can keep doing it. The best thing you could have done instead of just giving it up is to make sure you do it with respect and don't, and like when there's jokes written that might seem offensive, you say no to that and just keep doing the, the character justice. So, but you know, either way, you know, like I said, if the actors are cool with it, it's opening up more jobs, and I'm pretty sure the Simpsons main cast, like Hank Azari and all that, like, yeah, that's just one less voice they got to do. They're still going to take home six-figure check for their work days. So. Yep, yep. And my man Phil Lamar is set now. Yeah. Set. <laughs> yeah. He's buying I mean, a Beamer right now. Yeah. That's what I say. Those guys, they're good. Because 30 year old show, like, literally, they go to work for two hours a week, and they're making six figures. It's pretty awesome. Okay. Elizabeth? I was gonna say, yeah, as far as like The Simpsons, those people have been doing those voices for basically our entire lives. And I I can't imagine they're gonna go on forever. Like, they're eventually gonna get tired. Or I don't know, you know, if you watched a more recent one, Marge's voice is noticeably different just from time. Yeah. Um, but they have, I noticed they have expanded their kind of roster of regular voices ever so slightly by adding uh, Kevin Michael Richardson, he handles a lot of voices I've noticed lately in the past few years. And he's a great addition. He really adds to the cast. So I think that's like a step in the right direction too, is, is not only is he uh, an actor of color, but he's just a, a frankly, a fresh voice. If, if, if they had added anybody, it would have been like a fresh voice on The Simpsons after 25 years or so of the same people. <laughs> Yeah. You know, speaking of The Simpsons, I actually want to bring something up. Um, what do you guys know about all those predictions that people are saying that The Simpsons, you know, predicted, like the coronavirus, for instance? Does anybody have any thoughts on that? I mean, I've just been, I've been reading more and more articles about this. Um, thoughts on that. Uh, Emma? The Simpsons has been running for so long and they've put out so much content and so much of it has been like future-based that yeah. like, a lot of it when it says like in 2020 there's going to be this specific kind of virus like that's a little bit like whoa that's weird but um at the end of the day like they put out so much crap about the future they're going to be right with some of it okay anybody else as, as she said what i was gonna say it's yeah, mostly coincidence I, some of it yeah is coincidence but some of it is like it's 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 also but here's the thing some of the stuff that was is just coincidence it's also social commentary and that for that to come true lets us know that these guys had their fingers on the pulse of something that they knew was coming like that means that these these writers 
are in touch with <clears throat> what, who we are and what we are as Americans to the point where they could write a script for something that happens decades later. Like it's, it's kind of insane to think that, you know I mean? Like, you know, they, you know, they made jokes about like uh, Schwarzenegger being president, but he came out to be the governor, you know, not, not close, but goddamn, you know what I mean? Like somebody voted for him. Like he went as the governor for a long time, you know, and, and, and Donald Trump becoming president. Another thing that they predicted many years back and look where we are now, you know? So it's just, yes, coincidence, but also just knowing how ridiculous shit could be. I mean, even if, cause you can look at a movie like Idiocracy and some of the stuff that was done in that movie, like we laughed at it, but some of that shit exists today. And we're like, God damn, are we, this is where we are? This is insane. Mm-hmm. Joe? That was the point, Chris kind of got to what my point was, is that this, all of that, these predictions were written as jokes. <laughs> and then that's how sad it is now in 2020 that when these predictions are coming true, but they were jokes. Like we were laughing at them going, oh, come on, that's insane. And oh my God, what is wrong with us? And Idiocracy, by the way, Chris, is a documentary from the future, just so you know. <laughs> I mean, there's a show on Netflix called The Floor is um, Lava that's like a half a step away from, ow, my balls. <laughs> uh, one of our one of our great uh, guests, uh, Lydia, who, who was in that movie, has confirmed that it is a documentary from the future. <laughs> yes, well, L- Lydia was in that movie, Joe? She was in Idiocracy, yes. I asked her, I said, is it a documentary? Oh, I didn't know that. And she said, <laughs> yes. So she's, she, she proved it. Hashtag I mean, listen, listen, here's the thing, too, like, because, like, it's also one of those things, too, like, look at kind of the state we're in right now. You know, we got a, a virus going on. There's a lot of division. There's a lot of violence happening. I mean, literally, there's been, like, some girl just got set on fire two days ago. So you're telling me we can't go from, it's not possible that we can go from that to actually having, like, you know, seeing some dystopian future. Not like, you know, not like Mad Max shit, but just, like, watching a sport of violence, like pure violence, like some running man shit where convicts have to like, you know, fight to the death for their freedom. That like, I'm not saying it's gonna happen soon, but it's possible because people are fucked up. I mean, let's, I mean, another four years of Trump, that could be the stepping stone to that show being a real thing that we're watching. That's just well, that's, there is already stepping stones to that show on right now. All of those Titan Warrior yes. games where you watch people, even right. the ones that are comical, like the Japanese game show games where we laugh at someone who falls on their face. True. And obviously is gonna hurt themselves falling yeah. into that water. I mean, you bought that puffy thing may be puffy, but it it looked it clearly is gonna hurt. Which is the crazy thing because back in the nineties we had American Gladiators and that went off of television because it was too violent. Too violent. And, like all they did was put wacky sound effects onto these shows and it's like oh it's whimsical it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> A wrecking ball hits somebody in the face it's whimsical. Well, the other thing about Running Man too though is that how the the government and the media became intertwined. I mean yeah. they even says Richard Dawson. By the way, Richard Dawson's fantastic at that. Oh great, I He's love so that. good. He is uh, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's biggest nemesis ever. But at yeah. one point, he he goes, he goes, uh, uh, get me the the head of justice. No, no, wait, get me the president's agent on the phone. And he, now you watch it now, and it's like, yeah, I can see that. that could be <laughs> real. If the Rock becomes president, I'm leaving. I'm, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> like, I would want to see it, but like, I'm leaving because it's gonna be it's gonna be wild after that. Because usually, most of these movies where you see something in the future where America's like fucked up, it's usually a celebrity that becomes president. So, well, in most apocalyptic movies, it's not just a celebrity; it's an African American president. And most of the movies <laughs> where the world ends, the president is African American, Chris. That is absolutely true. In the last 15 years, for sure. In the last 15 years, for sure. Morgan Freeman, deep, yeah. deep impact. Yeah. Um, there's another one. I, I can't remember. I think it's Dennis Hasler. He was fucking yeah. president. And it's like, yeah, it's the angel. The, yeah, or white. Oh, Olympus has fallen. With my yes, boy Jared yes. <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. it's the end of the world and there's the black president that's why yeah even in that what's that movie um um raptor palooza like it was like the world ending uh after the uh you know the ascension you know and yeah. like the person who became the ruler of the world was a was a black guy he was yes. the, the beast <laughs> i was like come uh, on what are y'all doing like, come, come on, on man come i mean craig robinson's the shit but like damn <laughs> That's still cool. <laughs> no, I'll take I like idiocracy, so I will take Terry Crews. If he runs, I'll vote for him. <laughs> I'll vote, probably. It's what plants crave. Yeah. <laughs> Does anybody else have any other stories they want to share? Oh, I got a good Dana. one. I got a good one. So um the author 
co-author of Sherlock Holmes, Arthur Conan Doyle, for those of you that don't know, his estate is suing Netflix over their new series, uh, Enola Holmes, which is about his teenage sister. It's about Sherlock Holmes' teenage sister. And they're suing because they have made the Sherlock character on the show, and I quote, too emotive and a viol and too much respect for women violating Doyle's copyright work. What? Um, so Hilarious. basically, because he is um, too emotionally attached to his sister, they could not be able to release this series because the character is based on, because when they make it, the, Sherlock Holmes, the character is in public domain. So you can use a lot of the material, but they have, the estate has copywritten stuff that um, Arthur Conan Doyle wrote giving Holmes life. Like after his son and brother were killed in World War I, he became a different author. And he had actually killed off Sherlock Holmes. Um, for those of you that are mystery fans, this is like why I got into this because I love true crime and he's like the king of true crime. So um, he made Sherlock Holmes much less like a machine. In the first books, like if you read the first part of his writing before he kills him, Sherlock Holmes is like basically described as a brain and no heart. And he doesn't even like Watson. And Watson is like his sidekick. He doesn't even have an emotion for Watson. There's like dialogue that he says, like, yeah, I don't even, I don't see him as anything but a use. He does a job and then he goes away. Like <laughs> He doesn't even like him. It isn't until the last two years of um, Doyle's work, um, 1925, 1927, where Holmes has a heart. And he becomes like a guy who actually respects women, has respect for women. He sees them as people. He also is like much more inclined to be um, more emotive. He allows his emotions to affect him as a person. So that, that work is copywritten by the estate. So they're saying you're basing the Sherlock on that shit and not the uncopywritten shit. So you need to change your homes and make it more a dick. <laughs> Basically, that's what the lawsuit is. <laughs> Do you want to say something? Oh, uh, I was gonna say that's a fascinating. Like, what a fa from a legal perspective, like how do you get that character back from the public domain in that sense? That I had no idea. That's amazing, and I love that. Like, and it's strange though. I I, I question it a little because I know there's been other like Sherlock parodies. Uh, isn't there like a Gene Wilder like Sherlock Holmes Smarter Brother movie or something like that? But maybe yeah. that that skirted no, I, by. I think you're absolutely right. I think I, that is. might have skirted by because it's more, you know, more probably based on the earlier Sherlock character. What a wild story! Thank you for bringing that to my attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, uh, not a true fact, but uh, uh, in the old, the original Sherlock, uh, his brother was not named Mycroft. He was named Misogynist Croft. <laughs> <laughs> Emma, did you want to say something? Yeah, I was just interested about like how far that's allowed to go because I look at all the other Sherlock Holmes adaptations of the past like 10, 15 years. You've got the RDJ one, you've got the TV series Elementary, the BBC version, and all of them toward they the sued. end. Because... I'm sorry? The, the uh, estate sued. Like in 2010, they sued another time, which is how the character ended up in public domain to begin with because they were like, Listen, the courts in England were like, listen, dude, okay. But like, <laughs> like, but like you guys, was this? Because I just feel like all these adaptations, in order for the audience to connect with them, they all end up having Sherlock show some emotion at <laughs> some point. And uh, if they're going to try suing over every single time that happens, that's all, like, who's got the time? They do. The Doyle they, estate. <laughs> I'd like to know if, uh, I got my hand, but I'd like to know if, if what they think of uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's Mycroft. Because he, he's writing now stories that Mycroft on his own, which oh. I, I find fascinating. I actually want to read that one. I, I hear it, it's good, but uh, I wonder what they think about that. They probably don't care about Mycroft. So. <laughs> yeah, because I think the, the public domain, I think it's specific. Well, it's, it's specifically to the early novels. Right. So I think any of the characters in those novels, and as long as the character of Holmes is depicted like a computer, I don't think they give a shit. Probably right, Joe. Hmm. Okay. Any more stories? Anybody else have any other stories that they want to share? Um, Jocelyn. Okay, yeah, I'm not on mute, that's good. Okay, so apparently um, the head writer for um, Bold and Beautiful soap opera, 
said the show will be using a blow-up doll as a stand-in for love scenes amid, amid the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, <laughs> yeah. 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 They, it's, it says that since the show's resuming this month, um, after shutting down with everything in like March, um, Bradley Bell, the soap's um, head writer and executive producer, said measures are being taken to keep the cast and crew safe while making new episodes. So, um, let's see. The, yeah, they are going... Uh, when we were reviewing the scripts, we started taking out all the romantic scenes and the scripts just fell flat, Bell told the New York Post. Um, we put our heads together and tried to figure out a way to make these things work without breaking the, I guess there's an eight foot distancing rule. I don't know. We brought out a doll we used years ago as a corpse. That's even better. We post it and it was very convincing, Bell said. It's a great doll and we'll be using her with hair and makeup as a stand-in to match some of our leading ladies. Um, he says that the show only currently has one doll, but the producers are looking into obtaining more artificial actors if the shots turn out well. Um, we're going to see how this works, he said. Maybe investing in more dolls and male dolls. We're searching websites, coming Hollywood to see what's available. Uh, so we may be employing a lot of dolls in future love scenes. And he said that the uh, production team is also looking into other measures like bringing in the real life spouses of actors and uh, as stand-ins for kissing and intimate shots. Uh, so yeah, they would be like tested for COVID and like their husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend would be brought in for the sex scenes or the love scenes. So that was actually been like one of the main questions, you know, that I always ask actors when they come on stage, you know, when they come on the show, excuse me, you know, all the changes that they're going to be doing to production and, you know, like, how are you going to do love scenes? And that's actually a very interesting idea <laughs> like he said if they took all the love scenes out and the script fell flat did it even fall it's only like three pages it's going to just like blew across the room like if you take all the love scenes out of a soap opera thing it's like it, yeah it's three pages it's it's two people slapping each other and then a commercial and then credits come on <laughs> that is a great story emma <laughs> So I, I hadn't, I didn't know all that detail, but I'd seen the headline before and I saw it in, in context with a tweet where it was like, it was implied it was just going to be like a sex doll, like a regular sex doll as opposed to a previous corpse doll. And they were like, it's perfect for soap operas because they already have the correct expression. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. I think a TMI Hollywood sketch is coming soon. <laughs> oh, you can't because Saturday Night Live did it already. So. Oh, really? Oh, forget it then. <laughs> That's, that's interesting. Thanks for that, Jocelyn. Um, anybody else have another story for us? No I mean, more story? Oh, go ahead, Emma. It's not as juicy as that. Um, but I found a story about a guy in Delaware, a swimmer, who I guess he saw that someone was fishing off the coast of Delaware and they hooked a shark by accident. So he dove into the water, pried the shark's jaws open and like fished the hook out. What? Wow. I know. Why would you do that? Yeah, that's like some Save crazy animal, ass. Bro. I mean, someone is really dedicated to saving the sharks. Yeah. I, I mean, you can just like release it once it like, right? I, I mean, apparently not. He went through anyway. a lot of dangerous trouble to do this. No, because sharks die if they stop swimming. Mm. Real, the real bummer is that it's 2020, oh. so now the shark has to quarantine for 14 days. Yeah. <laughs> Ocean COVID. Oh my God. It's through some, water droplets. Listen, animals, animals have gotten it already, so like, let's not let's not take it out the lexicon. There has been mm -hmm. like two animal cases of COVID. I know people think I'm paranoid because I wipe my dog's feet, I wash her feet after we go outside. Like, well, you should do that anyway. That. You should do that anyway. Yeah. Like I'm doing it. I don't care. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah. I actually had a story too from Mexico. Um, so I guess the president of Mexico gave a speech today and the uh, cases of COVID seem to be rising. And he said that one of the reasons why he thinks that they're going up so much, are you ready for this? Because women are not staying home to take care of the elderly like they're supposed to be doing. He actually said this at a speech and of course, you know, people were up in arms. Um, so that was, that was my story for today. Can you believe Man. that? Yeah. He says that a woman's Man. place should be in the home taking care of the elderly. So mm -hmm. that's why 
you know, um, the cases keep going up. Um, Elizabeth, one surprise, Veronica, but our I'd be surprised, but I mean, our president talks like that too. I'd be yeah. shocked. Oh, yeah, well, like, they're very similar. They're, yeah, he wants, they're he very wants to build a bridge now. Yeah. Well, the concern I keep reading is um, for for back to school in the fall for women is like if the quarantine type stuff or stay at home orders continue, mm -hmm. the burden of childcare and homeschooling is going to fall on women. Women are going to have to leave the workforce and then continue to fall behind their men. Oh, yeah. That'll probably be a good topic for us to talk about. Yeah. yeah sorry, it's a whole, it is a yeah. whole, whole thing. Okay, yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm going to say bye to you guys for a couple minutes and then I'll bring you back on. Okay. Let's get them on. Hi, Eric. Hey, Veronica, how are you? Good, how are you? It's nice to meet you virtually. It is nice to meet you virtually. I, I feel I, like I'm meeting a pen pal for the first time. <laughs> yeah, I've got the show on here on my phone, so I'm just gonna turn it off now. Oh, okay, yeah, that's fine. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on TMI Daily. Now, I wish you were on stage with us, like you were supposed to be, but hopefully we'll get you on stage with us soon. Yeah. Um, I also learned something about you today, right before the show. You were the villain on one of our writers, Philip Moon's web series that he wrote, Suit Up. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, Small World. So small he, World. That's so great. I love doing that. That was so much fun. He said, yeah. So he was telling me about that. And I said, oh, well, I will bring it up. So, okay. So I have a few questions for you. And then I'm going to bring on the panel because I'm sure they're going to have some questions for you as well. So you've done so many different projects with recurring roles like Scott on One Day at a Time, which is one of my favorite shows. El Bobo. Um, sorry? Scott the Bobo. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> You had featured ro uh, roles in The Flash, Wet Hot Summer. Um, do you consider yourself a character actor? And out of all the roles that you've played, can you tell us about one of your favorite roles and why? Yeah, I always consider myself a handsome character actor. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you don't have to put me next to a Helmworth, Helmsworth. You can put me next to some real character guy, and I look really, really handsome at that point. <laughs> but um, yeah, I kind of play the bad guys, which is sort of in between character and leading man, which I love doing. So all those guys are usually the antagonists, the guys that are driving everybody crazy, the assholes, you know. Yeah. So, I'm trying to think of the character's name. Oh, that was on that suit up, which I love so much. It was a web series, and he was a slimy agent. But yeah, definitely the handsome character actor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> one, of, one of the roles that I just did was on The Politician, and the description of the role was, he's handsome if you don't look too close. And I thought that that was the perfect way to describe me, because if you glance, I'm a really hot guy, but if you sit with me for a little bit, you'll start to see <laughs> that I'm not maybe as a leading man. Um, I don't know, my favorite role is hard, because I've been so blessed to have so many different uh, parts over the years. So the one project that is like closest to my heart was Generation Kill, which was an HBO miniseries about the Iraq war and a group of recon Marines. And the reason, I mean, it was an incredible project. It was great people that did it. Um, it was David Simon and Ed Burns who did The Wire. It was based on a book that well, was written by um, Evan Wright. That was so great. But, and then on top of that, we got to go to South Africa and shoot the thing for seven months. And I met some of my closest friends ever. So it was a combination of being this awesome project and also meeting a great group of guys. And I got to, you know, play with guns and drive trucks and stuff, you know? There you go. And I, I'm just being told that your character's name was Roger Seavey. I knew that was, I was going to say Roger <laughs> Sterling, but I, I was yeah. going to put myself on Mad Men. Roger Seely is so great. <laughs> yeah, slimy agent. That was fun, man. Um, yeah, I love The Politician, by the way, too. That's a great show, and I saw you on it as well. Um, so, so since the pandemic, um, I know uh, from talking to several actors, I always keep asking the same question. Um, with, you know, production, pr production, excuse me, opening up, how safe are you going to feel going back on set? And what are some of the changes that they've been talking about? You know, it's such a difficult thing because... COVID is such a weird thing because you can go through all these precautions and then find out that you didn't need to because nobody you were around had it. But then at the same time, it can spread through, you know, like smoke and everybody can get it right away. Um, so in terms of feeling safe, it's like you do as much as you can. And, and, and the idea of keeping away and wearing a mask and washing your hands and stuff and basically getting tested, I would feel safe, but I'm also fortunate to not have anybody in my home that has underlying health conditions or that are older I'd like to get my teenage son sick, you know, sometimes with his attitude. I wouldn't mind if he was laid up for seven days, um, but not to make light of it at all. So for me personally, I would be okay going to set. Um, 
and just kind of taking the lead from whatever protocols they're able to put up. I think that it's going to be, it's going to be something. It's going to be really interesting. A lot of people have a lot of ideas, but nobody's jumped into it yet. I think we all kind of want some production to try out and see what works and what doesn't. Mm-hmm. It's going to be, in my opinion, it's going to be smaller. You know, if they, I mean, that's the whole idea too with COVID is if there's less people, then there's less mixing. So I imagine they're going to trim down every department. Yeah. Um, I've read a few things that say they're going to try to put people in different areas. Um, I was reading a story on Deadline today about Germany's film production, and they're looking at like zones where there would be like a red zone, a green zone, and a yellow zone. And basically, if you were in one of those zones, you don't cross into the other one until you absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that might work. Um, daily testing, it might be a weird thing. You might show up. All of that's going to add to cost, though. So that might be really crazy. And, and, and I do think that productions are probably going to have to shrink. They're going to be a little smaller. I might end up auditioning for one of those plastic dolls you guys were talking about earlier. I'm really interested <laughs> in that part. I feel like I could bring a lot to it. Yeah. Um, so if you guys know a breakdown for that, I'll definitely submit myself. <laughs> Have you been doing a lot of like self tape auditions online auditions during this time? And do you like doing them or do you prefer actually going in person? I definitely them? prefer going in person, you know, yeah. especially because I do a lot of comedy. Like you always want to feel the room. I would say that before COVID I was probably doing 30 to 40% self tapes anyway, just because that was the trend. And if you can't get an audition, they'll watch a tape, which was good. Um, right when everything shut down, people were like high hopes that everything was going to come back in, you know, 14 days. So I was getting self tapes right then. And then everything stopped completely, um, which was interesting, you know, but like everybody, I wasn't the only industry in the world that got shut down. And I kind of enjoyed a little bit of hibernation. You know, I've been I'm sort of a hustling actor. I'm always, you know, looking for work and constantly doing it. But like I said, been blessed to do it for a long time. So to not have to be looking for something because you couldn't anyway was an interesting thing. So I sat for about three months or so and just sort of hibernated, uh, which was interesting. That's probably the longest I've gone without acting since I was in that preschool play, you know, (laughs) back in 82 or whatever. Um, And then I just started doing stuff recently. So just recently, I, I, I started putting things on tape. My wife is an actress as well. And so we usually taped in our house, but now that our kids are always home, we uh, <laughs> painted a wall in our converted garage and turned that into our little studio. I learned a lot about microphones and lighting and our tapes are looking good. I'm impressed with my Zoom setup right now. I feel like, th- I mean, this is legit. I mean, I look you know, pretty clear and everything. <laughs> You know, it's so funny. When you came on right now, I thought that was your picture. I didn't think it was actually. <laughs> that's, that's the best compliment you can get. Talking to you. So that's a good compliment. <laughs> These are the uh, things you brag about now. You don't brag about your car or you no. know, your kitchen. You're like, my Zoom setup is legit. Mm-hmm. And you have very good internet. Can I, I do, right? I, I, I deliver. Not... Best internet. You have it. <laughs> um, we have a question online for you from Joan Petralia. She wants me to ask you who won the Stanley Cup last year, Eric. I'm assuming that's an inside joke. <laughs> Joan Petrelia is a wonderful woman out of St. Charles, Missouri, and she knows that the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup last year. Play Gloria took him to the cup. That's my mother, Veronica. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hi, Mom. <laughs> there you go. Well, so you mentioned your, your your beautiful wife, Angel Parker, who's also an actress. What's the best part of being married to a fellow actor? They just get it. You know, yeah. like when you're acting crazy, they're like, hold my beer. I'll act crazy as well too later. I don't have to explain like the long hours or the erratic emotions or, you know, like the weird job that we do. Um, and then my wife and I work everything together, you know, so we get to run everything together which uh, can be great and also frustrating when I don't want to take her notes, you know, and I don't think that they're good notes and I, you know, mm-hmm. um, her adjustments and things, but no, the best part about it is just that she gets the, she gets it. If I'm depressed about some role that I didn't get, I don't have to explain why I'm so depressed about it. Cause my wife's like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we flip it the next week she's depressed and I can say, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So I want to move on and um, I'm a classic sitcom junkie. And because of that, I adore Norman Lear. He's my yeah. favorite director, writer, producer, and you have the opportunity to work with him and the legendary Rita Moreno, who yeah. I adore as well. Can you talk a little bit about that? What was it like working with them? I think I'm a classic sitcom junkie as well. I, I mean, I grew up watching absolutely everything that was half hour. And Norman Lear was a guy that 
my parents and my grandparents talked about when he was going to be doing something. So we watched All in the Family, and I watched Maude, and I watched One Day at a Time, um, mm -hmm. and I watched The Jeffersons. And so it was sort of surreal that the actual man you were meeting, and I went back in for the second audition, and he was sitting there wearing his you know signature white hat. And it was just, I've gotten to meet people. I'm so, like I said, blessed, and it's amazing that I've gotten to meet these people throughout my career that I couldn't believe I was standing in front of Norman Lear, and he's gentle, and he's kind, and he's hilarious. And um, he's 97 now, I believe. I was at his 94th birthday, and he had he had El Pollo Loco was what the birthday deal was what he wanted. But it's like I can't believe I'm sitting here talking to Mar uh, Norman Lear. And then he had just released an autobiography, so I started reading it at the same time. And if you were intimidated before by this man's life, don't read his autobiography because he's so much better than you are, and has done so much more than you ever will. Because it starts off, and he was a World War II bomber and flew, you know, dozens and dozens of missions over Germany, uh, flying the bomb brigade, and, but then turned around and revolutionized, you know, television and comedy. And he did it on radio. Like he did, he was writing for radio and then TV came out and then color TV came out. So Norman has an Instagram account now. And you're like, I can't believe you have an Instagram account, Norman. And he's like, eh, it's just the next thing. You know, it's no big deal. I follow him. I know. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> and he calls regularly too. A legend. I, I was lucky enough, actually, my mother, the beautiful Joan Petralia, <laughs> was out visiting in LA and I got to bring her to set and she saw Norman Lear, which was Amazing. really cool. And then Rita Moreno is the quintessential, I mean, classy Hollywood star. I mean, she, in the sense that she uh, understands how much people love her and embraces that so much. Mm -hmm. um so when she's doing the shoots she plays to the crowd she plays to the crew she's warm uh, it, it's like just such a great example of what it would be like to be working for uh, five decades to have an EGOT she brings one of her Emmys one time to set and she's like I just thought that people might want to hold it and there's no ego involved in it whatsoever we wow. do want to hold your Emmy and she knew we would <laughs> and she brought it she's like I just thought maybe the kids would like to see it but not from an arrogant point of view it's I mean only Rita Moreno could pull it off yeah. You know, I also liked your um, on street uh, on screen, excuse me, chemistry with Justina Machado. I really thought there was going to be a love interest. <laughs> I'm like, oh, they, they really hate each other, but then they're really going to end up, you know, something's yeah. going to happen there because she's also amazing, too. I mean, the chemistry between the two of you was, was incredible. The way she delivered those lines and then, you know, the way you went back at her. I mean, the dialogue between the two of you, it was pretty, pretty good. Pretty amazing. I really wish there would have been something there. <laughs> That's I know, right? Just, I'm, I'm laughing in my head because I can imagine Justina, you know, someone saying that and her just cracking up laughing. Not that she had any reason with me, but that Scott, she'd be like, oh. Yeah. But I'm like, that's what they want you to believe, that they right. really don't like each other, but they're going to end up, you know, dating or something's going to happen there. So I wanted to tell you that. Um, speaking of One Day at a Time, um, it clearly has a political stance. Um, do you go into a show like that knowing there, there's going to be a segment of people that will not like it because of its politics? I, we just recently watched the cartoon version of it. Yeah. And it was very political. Um, or maybe I should rephrase that. Have there been people that have been critical of you for being part of a show that has and how does it affect you? Or have there, has, has there not been any criticism, I should say? I've never, I've never had any of like the direct criticism. Okay. Um, and so maybe I'm just not listening to those people, you know, or reading those things. Um, I think when you go into a Norman Lear show, you know that there's probably going to be a little bit of social commentary, a little bit of political commentary, which is so great, but it's in his hands. Um, mm -hmm. And then uh, the, the showrunners, Mike Royce and Gloria calderon Kellett, also are very conscious of what they're doing and are doing it on purpose. And so you want to be a part of something like that. The cool thing about One Day at a Time, especially for my character, was that you got sort of the other opinion in that sense, like the other perspective. It wasn't somebody saying, don't do that. It was say, a lot of times Scott, especially in the first season would say, uh, that's great, I just don't see it that way. And so I mm -hmm. felt like they kind of shaped it. It's, it's very much, um, you know, it, I, I love what they're doing on One Day at a Time and I love the way that they approach stuff. And it wasn't, you know, like Scott wasn't a major voice, but at least that character was in there. So I never saw anybody say any backlash to it. And I, I was excited to be a part of it because, um, you don't see a lot of television like that in the half hour format or the sitcom, unless Norman Lear's doing it. 
Yeah, it, it's really, it's so well written. And I'm just yeah. so glad that, you know, it was picked up by Pop and I recommend it to all my friends. I'm like, watch it, it's on Netflix and you can watch it on Pop. So it's a great show. Really um, you also worked on a Disney show called Kicking It. Yeah. <laughs> What's it like working on a Disney show in comparison to other shows? <laughs> Disney's really, Disney's great. The Disney shows are great because they, it's such low stress because they, they know that they're tailoring to kids. Um, and it's not that much different other than a sitcom. Um, other than the situations might be a little goofier, you know, so kicking it was really kicking it was great because they would do a lot of like prop comedy and a lot of like over the top vaudeville bits and things and I'm as much as I'm a sitcom fan I'm also a fan of just dumb bits, you know, like, especially if they're old ones, you know, from the 40s or 50s that were redoing so they would do a lot of that stuff. And I loved it and they would even do them during the table reads. So before a show even starts with rehearsal, you sit around a big table with all the network executives, the suits, and they listen to the script. Well, a lot of the jokes were sound effects or they were like, a, you know, a big salmon was smacking one of the kids across the face. So they would pull out the rubber salmon at the table read and really hit the kid across just to land the jokes. I had never been in a table read like that. Usually you're sitting there just reading the whole time. But this one, we'd stand up, they'd have sound effects, you know. And then you'd get to shoot it and the, the network never gave any notes or changed anything because they saw everything worked. So mm -hmm. it was great. It was silly. The kids were great. You know, I loved it. I loved it. So did you feel like you had to kind of alter your acting because it was so, you know, physical, like, like you said, during the table reads or? I'm usually, I'm usually altering my acting to be believable and grounded. And so what I did was just let the reins go and I could be as big as I wanted to be. Yeah. That's like the real Eric Menninger is over the top in kicking it, like doing the physical stuff. I felt like I was back in, in high school or like my early days. I was, I was letting the floodgates go. <laughs> so I have one final question for you before I bring everybody else on. Um, so you have a background in sketch comedy, which is what we do. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about craftsman comedy? Yeah, so the craftsman comedy is two of my friends, Dan Sanders Joyce and Jim Mahoney. And um, we had acted together and studied together. And then Jim's a great writer and Dan has a ton of um, a sketch comedy history as well coming up in Chicago. And I'm really handsome, so it was a perfect fit. And so the three of us started kind of writing. We started writing a pilot. We thought we would do that. That was called Submissions, about three actors that ran a self-tape business sort of into the ground. Um, it was like the low rent version of Entourage. And then we started sort of uh, uh, writing a couple of sketches just that we always had ideas for and actually shooting them. We got a great director, Chris Mackin is his name, a young kid who was just really hungry and really talented and kind of had a great uh, just eye for the way everything could look. Um, and that was amazing you know like the idea that you can write stuff and shoot stuff and, and post it is the best part about you know media right now and has been for about the last 10 years so craftsman comedy is our um, instagram handle and there's a youtube channel we got side you know tracked as well with COVID. like everything i was really looking forward to joining you guys on stage i think what you guys do with the live show is so awesome and have been doing it for so long that was going to yeah. be a real thrill but We'll put a pin in it and come back and do it. Absolutely. And when we do get, go back, you know, to the, to the theater, we're going to ask you to be our first guest if you're available. So I would, we'd love I would to have love you. To. I was really getting excited. I don't get return to the stage. We want to yeah. have you as our first guest. If, so if you're free, there you go. I'll make sure to let you know. <laughs> um, so let me bring the panel back on. So these are some of our cast members and some of our writers. And I think they might have some questions for you. So everybody, this is Eric. <laughs> hey, guys. Um, let's start with you, Chris. Uh, who am I? Okay. Uh, I don't really have a question, but just a, a remark. Uh, I, I loved your character on Generation Kill because, uh, like, uh, as a veteran, um, like literally that show pinpoints all, like all the experiences I had when I was in the military. Like it, it hits, I don't know if, you know, at least as a Marine, I don't know if, um, you know, if it's the same for army, but I have, you know, a couple of my roommates, they're veterans too. And, One's Army, one's National Guard. And like some of the things are similar, but like I always use that show as kind of like a, a, a teaching point. Cause you know, you have, uh, after you get out of the service, people always ask you like, what was it like? What was it really like? And I always point them to that series. Cause it's just like, uh, uh, like point by point, every episode just hits on something that I experienced. And, and it's kind of great to see that that, and it's great also because that experience translates to different generations of Marines. So it's just, 
it's great that you know we get to see a character like yours in that because like you know we all have a Captain America and and and, <laughs> and it's the worst and you and you played it very well like very believable when you first popped on the show I was like oh here he is so, <laughs> but that's and no insult to you that just means you're a great actor I just wanted to tell you that that's all I appreciate you saying that that's the best thing is when real Marines say how great it was and. I mean, the, how accurate it was is just a tribute to Evan Wright being an embedded yeah. reporter and then the, the, the showrunners and the writers doing such a great job with it. But a lot of Marines will come up and say that, you know, and, and we had three real uh, recon Marines and then another military advisor. We had three guys who were actually in the book and in the campaign that we were doing were on set with us. And we would always look around and say, you know, is this is this legit? Are we doing it right? And they're like, yeah, it's exactly like how it was, minus all the death and the danger. But you guys, you know, nailed it. So it kept us like in check. When yeah. I'm bitching about my coffee or something, they're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> look, listen, don't 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 worry about that because even Marines bitch about the smallest That's little right. things. Like so, like, yeah. I mean, you know, the smallest little discomfort, we'll bitch about it. Of course, we can move on from it, but like, it's right. still in the back of our minds, no matter what's going on. You sound like actors then, the smallest little discomfort. Yeah, I mean, we, I mean, we kind of are. We're just actors with guns in our hands. <laughs> Shana. Hi, Eric. Thanks for coming on. I just wanted to ask you, do you have a dream role? Um, someone that you haven't played yet that you would love to play? I'd love to play Chet Baker. He was a, a, a jazz musician and, and also oh, the heroin. Yeah, yeah. That would, that would be a really awesome one. And then also recently, uh, I, they, they already did it, but the loving story would be a really great one. The interracial couple that their case went to the Supreme Court. Um, mm -hmm. That would be an awesome one. But other than that, I, I, I enjoy a lot of the things that I've done. I like the characters like that I did on The Politician that are like uh, smart detectives. I love interrogation scenes. I kind of am more interested in the actual scenes that I get to end up doing for whatever reason. So if I can do a superhero scene on the flash I'm like great check that off the box or an interrogation scene or you know um whatever it may be even the one uh, at suit up where I was playing an agent those kind of things where I can check off oh I got to do that little thing and that little thing and that little thing shoot a gun and play a marine that kind of stuff but but no Chet Baker would be a good one I'm getting too old I gotta get it in soon I also wanted to ask because oh, you said no I'm sorry Veronica um, oh, Gina, sorry you and your wife um you said you work on stuff do you do you do that in place of class or do you with class like are do you are you an actor who still takes class and studies or is your work with your wife how you work yeah so my wife and i met in college at drama school so we've always kind of taken the same drama class together um which maybe so then we went off and we did a shakespeare program in oxford together so we both had that foundation and then uh, she started taking class at the Blank Theater Company, and I kind of weaseled my way in there and started working with her. So whenever we learned new acting language or terms or whatever, or kind of grew, we would kind of have a foundation that we both shared. So as we had auditions, we would start to rehearse them with each other. Um, and then we stayed in class again, uh, both of us uh, studied and taught at the Leslie Kahn studio. Um, and then I literally just pulled out of Leslie Kahn because of all the Zoom and COVID stuff. But up until COVID shutdown, uh, I was teaching and studying there and you go off and you work and then you come back and you keep studying and Angel was the same way. She would go off and work and then come back and stay in class. We also taught at that studio. I taught there for about a decade um, and we taught a class together as well. So, I mean, we run our stuff, but we're also in class together or we might be in separate classes together, but I, I never stop doing things. And then teaching really helps as well too. Um, if you can teach it, you really know it. And you also get to stay sharp and work on your stuff, but. No, Angel and I, we're always, you know, in class or, or working on stuff together and then share that language too. Uh, Joe. Uh, hey, Eric, I'm a fellow sexy salt and pepper beard man myself. Uh, listen, <laughs> yeah, there we go, there we go. Dude, um, your background, I, before, say, before I, you I, love, I love your background. I love your background. But, but yours, no, no, you need to do a side hustle because all these kids are at home and they don't have school photos this year. You need to rent out your garage and take some pics I'm telling you, that's a great side hustle. You'll make a lot of cash. I love it. I love the background, man. My background looks like I also shoot headshots, you know, like, and also, right, I definitely do like the, you know, the senior picture. So the Tiki Room is my fa my family's favorite place at Disneyland. When we're all exhausted at the end, we all pile into the Tiki Room sure, and then one of the kids falls asleep. And the music's good. It's always good. Same show every day. Don't whip refresh. outside. Of course, it's perfect. <laughs> Anybody else have anything else they want to ask or say? 
Nobody? Eric, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And, you know, again, you're welcome anytime. Anytime you're bored, you want to come on, be part of the panel, let me know. <laughs> We'd love to have you. Absolutely. Thank you guys so much. You guys are hilarious. I enjoy it. And yeah, I look forward to coming and joining you on stage. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. Bye, Eric. Thanks again. Bye, guys. Thank you so much. Take care. Good weekend. Okay, so we wanted to close out today's show with one of our favorite games, getting to know your panel. <coughs> we asked the panel a list of questions about themselves and they sent us their answers. I'm gonna read one of the questions and give you an answer given to us by one of the people on the panel. Everyone else is gonna then guess whose answer it is. So let's start. We should have had Eric stick around to guess just to know it. You know what? I actually did send him the questions, but he got them too late. Uh, <laughs> uh, sure he did. To participate. Okay, so here's the first question. The first question we asked was, have you ever stolen something from a store? And if so, what was it? This person answered a payday candy bar. Was that Emma? Was that Chris? Or was that Stuart? Anybody want to guess? I guess Emma. I'm going to say Stuart. I'm going Stuart. Failing on the poker face. But it seems like <laughs> Emma or Stuart. I'm, I'm, going, I'm going Emma. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, you guys are actually wrong. It was Chris. Oh. Chris, do you want to talk about this? Yes, I felt, listen, all right. I, first of all, I'm not here for the payday slander. It is a delicious candy <laughs> it's bar. disgusting. How dare you? No one okay. is judging. It is awesome, Chris. It is great, okay? All right. And I got I to gotta, I gotta keep it payday in, in my stomach because, you know, shouts out to George Washington Carver, you know. The, the, the most diverse man in peanut tree. Uh, <laughs> peanut tree? <laughs> yes. It's so delicious. Look it up. It's a word. It's a word. It's a word. Peanut tree. Um, but no, it was, I was, <clears throat> I was a kid. And of course, you know, as a kid, you have no money. Um, and I was very hungry. And uh, I don't know, Shayna, you could probably attest to this. And when you are, when, when, when black people go to church, it's an all- goddamn day event and i'm talking from like eight o'clock in the morning to damn near nine o'clock at night it's an all fucking yeah. day thing okay it's at least eight to five if yes. not eight to nine if you don't go for the bible study after it's eight yes. to five for sure though and so my uh young self i think i was around like seven uh we had to stop at a gas station to get gas on our way to church and I knew I would be hungry because, you know, at the end of black service, you get like a lunch and then you can possibly get a dinner if you stay all through all the morning, afternoon and evening service. But I knew there was nothing in between the morning service and the afternoon service. So I knew I'd be hungry and I decided to steal a payday bar before church. And, you know, being raised in a Christian household, I immediately... Like, as soon as I stepped in the church, I was like, oh, I'm going to hell. Oh. Like, this is like, <laughs> like, immediately, that was the only brain, it, like, that was the only thing in my brain was like, I'm going to hell. So, believe it or not, I actually, when it came uh, to, to put, our, you know, they usually pass the tray around to put in your tithes or, you know, aka donations if you go to a white church, but we got them tithes in, in a black church. Uh, I actually, to repent for my sins, I put a half-eaten payday bar in the church. Did you tie the payday, Chris? I did. Here's the thing. I didn't even put the whole thing. I took half. I still, I was, I still didn't feel guilty enough to not starve. Like, that's, that's how I was like, you know what? I'm still not going to starve. This, I, I, know, I gotta survive. I still, I still gotta have a snack. But the problem is, Chris, is now you're gonna go halfway to hell, which means that when you die, exactly, you're gonna exactly. I was like, I was like, listen, I can kick it in purgatory with the rest of us, everybody else. Funny. Yeah, and and of course, uh, of course, my my mom saw this and she realized, like, she asked me where I got it from, and of course, being a kid, I couldn't come up with anything off the cuff, so I had to tell the truth. I was in the middle of church, which resulted in me getting my ass whipped that night. Oh no. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so the next question we asked was, how old were you when you had your first kiss? This person answered, a month before I turned 18, and it was at an anime convention. Was it Shayna, <laughs> was it Emma, or was it Jocelyn? Mm. 
That's Emma. That's Emma all the way. That's Emma all the way. That's Emma. No, I'm saying Jocelyn. I'm thinking Jocelyn. Hmm. Okay. It's Emma. I just wanted to see. I'm a little bit mad you included the anime con thing too, because that made it too obvious. <laughs> like that, 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 was, yeah, that, that was, was over the edge. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I was. It was a month before I turned 18, and I was at an anime convention in New Jersey called Anime Next, and we were both cosplaying from the same anime, Soul Eater. And we met at a cosplay <laughs> photo shoot. And uh, my first kiss was on the side of a highway in New Jersey. Beautiful. Yes. Beautiful. Get it off of exit 14, Emma. Get it. <laughs> Kissed on the side Listen. of a highway in New Jersey, you're not getting COVID. You're immune for it. You're immune to everything. And I, I am and immune to as, as a person who's now. been to New Jersey, I'm, I'm sorry, Emma. That's all I want to say. <laughs> okay. So they say that in order to come up with your porn name, you take the name of your first pet and combine it with the name of the street you lived on in second grade. So with that in mind, we asked, what is your porn name? Whose porn name is Tootsie Seymour? Is it Chris, is it Joe, or is it Shayna? Tootsie Seymour. It feels like Joe. Yeah, it sounds like yeah. a Joe thing. Joe, yeah. Joe seems like he would name it, he was named a cat Tootsie. Yeah. <laughs> I'll okay, so, okay, you guys are right. Think... It's Joe. <laughs> well, it wasn't a cat. It was now, a dog. Why, why did you think it was Joe? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do, I do like, I do like Tootsie Seymour. Tootsie Seymour seems very much like a, uh, like a, like a, like a, like a, a like a dame. Dancer in the fifties and like the villain. yeah, yeah. It's a broad Joe. She's a broad. She's a broad. Yeah. Tootsie Seymour is a broad. Well, it's Mine... also. Yeah, it's also has like a porn star who like has a, a background in film history. Like they're trying to, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, like she was a spy, like Marta Hari or some shit yeah. like that. Yeah, Mine's yeah. Also had like a foul mouth. And... She now sells real estate because <laughs> you can see a real estate headshot with Tootsie Seymour under it. Facts. <laughs> oh yeah. Facts. She like chains have... cigarettes and like does like this thing with her hair. Yeah. <laughs> I have the worst like porn name because it's everything sounds too normal. It's Sarah Dunleavy. That's just a that's just a person. It's just a person. That's, that's somebody. That's somebody who does taxes. Income, Sarah Dunleavy. <laughs> I could be a lawyer, accident yeah. lawyer, Sarah yeah. Dunleavy. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so we actually have another porn name that I want you to guess. The second porn name that was sent to us was I blew it, sorry. Fish Paradise. Fish Paradise. Well, we know it's not Elizabeth. Sorry. <laughs> so was this person Jocelyn was it Stewart or was it Chris? Fish Paradise. Stuart, you named your fish Stuart. fish. I believe Stuart. that of you. <laughs> That's good evidence. I'm going with that. Uh, I'm going with Jocelyn. Okay. We say Jocelyn. Some people yeah. say Stuart. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, actually, that was Stuart. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't name my fish fish, but I didn't name him at all, so I just said fish. <laughs> so you named turtle, your fish. Turtle. I, didn't, I didn't name my fish. I, I just that one. The blue one. Did your parents name the I mean, fish? No, I mean it was like a family tank. Like it wasn't just mine. So we just said like, no. They're like there are too many fish to name fish. This is not worth it. It's like Jesus, how many fish do I have? Oh, it was like yeah. ten maybe in a tank. They're, I mean they weren't big. Ten names is way too many to remember. God. First of all, ten is but no, they look too many to have in a tank. I don't care. Like too many, it's too, too many. <laughs> okay, so the next question is: There one song that has the potential to make you cry? This person answered, yes. How do I live by Leanne Rhymes? Was it Jocelyn, Elizabeth, or Chris? How do I live by Leanne Rhymes? Jocelyn, Elizabeth, or Chris? I'm going to guess Elizabeth. Yeah, I'm going Elizabeth yeah. on this one. Anybody else want to take a guess? It's actually Chris. Chris. Oh. <laughs> Listen, wait, but wait, but wait, the only, but here's the thing, I have an addendum. The only time that song makes me tear up or cry is at the end of Con Air, okay? Like, you can't say, watch that, you can't watch that and not cry. It's too good. It's too good. I literally thought that. Dude, that little girl's face when she hugs her dad for the first time, come on. 
You're soulless if you don't. Uh, listen, the action movie is trash. I get it. It's corny. <laughs> but listen, all the stuff he goes through for that moment, tears. Tears. <laughs> you know what? I have to agree with you on that, Chris. I actually saw Conair like six times at the movie theater. And I right. think I got emotional every single time. Listen, I've showed this part. movie. I've showed this movie to like, there's people who haven't seen it. And like every time I, I, I'm like, hey, watch this on your own. The first text I get is like, dude, how are you going to make me cry like that? Like that's <laughs> everybody <laughs> cries at the end of that. At least the first time. You have to. Let's just go this. Okay, so I have one final question. Have you, um, the last question is, have you ever done something while intoxicated or high that you would never do sober? And if so, what was it? This person answered, I once passed out sitting on a toilet while peeing at a friend's house after going out to Hollywood and woke up with a bad bruise on my chin. Was this Jocelyn? Was it Emma? Or was it Elizabeth? Jocelyn. Jocelyn. She hasn't had one yet. It has to be. Um, I haven't had one either. You're right. It was oh, Jocelyn. Shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it was Jocelyn. Anything you want to add to that? Oh, well... Yeah, I, got, I woke up with a bad bruise because I face planted into the wall in front of me. Um, it was my friend's 21st and her mom got her a limo. I mean, <laughs> last year I remember was going to 504 on Hollywood Boulevard, putting my car down to get like two shots of like Jameson, which isn't like even my favorite kind of liquor. And that's, I don't remember anything after that. Oh. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Well, that's our show for today. We'll see you back here again on Monday at 6 p.m. We have a fun week of shows planned, so we hope you tune in. Have a safe weekend, everybody. Bye. 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 Are we off air?